This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey. Welcome to the Power Cat Podcast, presented by Fridge Wholesale Liquor. Now let's go to the Rolling Flint Hills, home of the Cats and Dogs Studio. Here's your host, Tim Fitzgerald. Welcome to another edition of the Power Cat Podcast. Tim Fitzgerald, Zach Carlson, Ryan Gilles Gilbert from his apartment. Looking all sexy today. Got the quarter zip action. 60 degrees, quarter zip weather. Zach's got it. We're all in 24-7 gear. It's magical. It's absolutely magical. Hey, uh, we're sponsored by Fridge Wholesale Liquor. If you don't know that by now, welcome to the podcast. Uh, you apparently haven't been watching or listening for many years. The fridge is at the corner of, you ready? You ready? Claflin and Westport, right here in Manhattan, Kansas. Man, I can't believe I got that. Uh, make sure you stop by. It's in a building that might resemble a blockbuster, but it's just by coincidence. If you don't know what a blockbuster is uh, and you're in the sweet spot where you're legal to drink, congratulations. But get on over there. Great people. Great service. We will have more mentions of them in the future. Uh, guys, um, I like the off week. You know, no midweek basketball game. But I miss them. Uh, we, we just haven't had much to cover. We just, it's kind of, Zach, could you make something happen? Women play tonight. Or just, we're doing this on Wednesday. You're getting this on Thursday. We don't know the result of that game. They're in Iowa. We can't do anything about not, that. They, it, nobody knows where Iowa. How about that news out of Iowa that uh, come and go will be no more? The the new owners are yeah. change the name. I, I have no idea why they might. None. Anyhow, this is how it works. The questions from Wild Bass Station come from our VIPs at Go Cat. If you're not one, you might want to consider becoming one. There's always some kind of deal rolling at GPC. Head on over to GoPowerCat.com and check that out. See if there's anything there you might like. My nephew, Ethan, with a preview of Wednesday night's women's game. Currently, Grace is the top of the page. Let's get going with your questions. Zach Carlson. We're going to start with basketball. It's basketball. hoop season. Here we go. From B. Foster, 1959, on a scale of 1 to 10, with 10 being very confident and 1 being not a snowball's chance, where would you rate the chances of the Wildcats making the NCAA tournament? Gills, go. I got to do math. I would say probably about a 3 right now. If the season ends today, K-State's not even sniffing the bubble. Not like They are not even one of those next four teams out that you'll see on those bracketology websites. And so there's a lot of work left to do, but the schedule, it is, I don't want to say the schedule's favorable because it's it's tough, it's grueling, but the opportunities are there on the schedule. So K-State, you know, there there's still numerous opportunities. Five of the remaining seven regular season games are quadrant one opportunities at the time of this recording. And obviously that can change, but 
you've got to win those games. And, you know, the home game against West Virginia, the, the other home game against TCU coming up on Saturday, those ones, I mean, you've got to win them, obviously, but those don't move the needle really on your resume. So getting a road victory or you know beating Iowa State at home, those are going to be the ones that, you know, are going to give K-State a chance. But as we sit right now, this team's just not there on the bubble. And, you know, Jerome Tang, I kind of – I shared this on Wabash Station sort of, uh, you know, is nine wins going to be good enough to get this team in? Jerome Tang believes so. He believes that any Big 12 team um, that gets to nine wins is deserving. But I just – I don't know if the selection committee is going to see eye-to-eye with Jerome Tang, especially when you look at that non-conference slate. The USC loss looks terrible. The Providence and Villanova wins don't look as good as they once did. I mean, the Nebraska loss is okay. They're a bubble team, but the non-conference is very poor. And I know like last year, someone pointed out that K-State went 11-7 and last year and got a three seed. I get it. Like last season's non-conference wasn't tremendous as well. But this team's just the, – the resume's poor. Right now, last night, I haven't checked today, but the, the net ranking was 77 um, the lowest team to ever get in was Rutgers in 2022, who ironically was 77. So K-State literally can't get worse than they are now and think they're going to have a chance. They've got a lot of uh, a lot of ground to make up, but if you want to be optimistic, there are so many quadrant one opportunities that maybe K-State can get something rolling. But right now, to answer the question, three. Let me build off that. I, good answer. Good answer. I'll give you a cookie next time I see you. Um, let, let me build off that. I... Look, let's say five puts you on the bubble, right? Okay, so Gills has got you at a three. And here's the problem. you got to win your home games. If you win your home games, you achieve that nine and nine. <clears throat> but as Gills mentioned, two of those are against non-quadrant win one teams. Uh, making those games even more important. Those losses yeah. would become tragic, like the Oklahoma State one. Um, so defending your home court, getting to that nine wins that seemed magical, seem like the barrier, I think that makes you a five. Now, you're still on the bubble, and I'm afraid you're on the wrong side of the bubble if you're one and done in Kansas City. Now, the good news is the bracket, as I mentioned before, offers the bottom six teams in this conference, you know, two or three of which might be in consideration for the NCAA tournament. Might. It offers them another shot at getting a win over one of those teams. Uh, that, you know, or towards the bottom before you move into the next bracket. And then you're still not facing the top four teams. So maybe there's another opportunity. I, I really think to feel good about this going to Kansas City, you better go win one on the road and defend your home court. And I, you know, as I sit here looking at things that look appears to be Cincinnati, which is a pretty good team, but they just lost by double digits to Iowa State. Uh, maybe that's one. Texas course is up there. They're incredibly athletic. I don't know how K-State matches up with them. Kansas is on that list. You beat Kansas and Lawrence. Yeah, you're probably in the tournament at nine and nine, even if you drop one of these home. Can games. we be realistic here? Come on. Right. I mean, this is the problem. You you run out of opportunities to win. I'm spacing off who the last game is on Iowa State home. No, on the road. There's got oh on the road. road. No, it's at KU. It's at Texas, at Cincinnati, at Kansas. Yep. So there's three left. Oh, there's three left. There's only seven yep. games left. Yeah, I was thinking there was four and four, but it's four and three. Got to defend that home court. You probably need to go win at Cincinnati if that's the one you can steal. Uh, I don't know. Texas has been almost better on the road than home, so maybe that's it. But that's it's a mess, uh, and, and it's because not only did they p- perform poorly in the non-conference, some of the teams we thought would be good. Look, I would have 
I would have bet Miami was going to be better than mid ACC. Uh, the team I saw USC in Las Vegas was a good team. So that team just lost its way. Yeah, it's uh, <clears throat> it's insane right now uh, how how difficult this conference is, and yet K State has been losing ugly. Yeah, you know, maybe not blowouts. I just said this on WIBW uh, on my Wednesday evening hit. Um, BYU game was a blowout. I don't care what the final score was. It was six points. That game was 17, right, Gills, in the second half? And yeah. Yep. K-State never had it to one possession. It was a Bruce Weber cover your ass at the end of the game, make it look better game. And I'm sorry, that, that was a horrible loss. They got their teeth punched in for most for of the 35 game. 35 minutes. And then and they got up swinging desperately and landed some shots at enough with that metaphor. They got work to do. So I agree with three. I'll so the dilemma. F- sorry. Go ahead, I'll, I'll go. I'll go four. It's one better, but you look at the next four games, you have three at home, one on the road. They're all teams that are either one game well, excluding West Virginia, but BYU, Texas, TCU, they're all basically within one game, at least going into this week's standings of K State, you know, going up. So, you know, there's a lot of games against teams that K State, at least in record, is similar to right now. Now, I think that that's going to tell you exactly what kind of team this is and whether they deserve to go or not, because essentially you're fighting for those last at large spots that the Big 12 is going to get. So this is where you know K State's going to earn, you know that bid if they're going to if they're going to make it. But really favorable schedule in my opinion. The next you know four or five games, I think you got to steal one on the road, like you said. But if you defend home court, you get one more. That's five and two over the final seven. That's ten and eight. If you can go get a win in Kansas City, you're probably going to be playing on Wednesday. Go get a win and. And move on to for, uh, Thursday. So, yeah, because there's games on Tuesday now. I know. You might, you're probably confusing Tuesday. You might be. So, so. that's what I was going to bring up. The dilemma with if you play your first game is against UCF, that's not going to move the needle for your resume. And then, you know, your second game is going to go up against BYU, a team like that middle of the pack, who's going to have a much, a much more rested team after you play just 24 hours prior. And so, I really don't think that you want to be in a position, especially with how poor K-State's been in recent memory in Kansas City, you don't want to be in a position to where you have to count on uh, at least one or two wins in Kansas City to get you over the hump and get you into the field. If K-State's in that spot come, was it, March 12th, I think, is when that, March 11th, whatever, I'm not going to feel good about it. So there's a lot of work to do. I think you got to get pretty much all of that work done here in the regular season, if not all of it. Agreed. Next question is from KNED. If nine and nine in Big Twelve should warrant a tournament invite, shouldn't five and five or six and six have you projected solidly in the field by now? And five and six on the bubble? How is five hundred going to go from not on the bubble to in the tournament? That's valid. Yeah. But I mean, just historically, that's what it's done. I mean, you're gonna pick up viable wins. But to your point, KNED. We just as we just discussed, two of those wins at home won't be that valuable. They're not quad quad one wins. So I, I'm with you. I, I I think they they probably to assure that 
need to get that head above 500 because they just have not looked like a tournament team. They look like a tournament team against Kansas, but as I mentioned in today's daily delivery, was that really that impressive? I mean, I almost feel like they should have won by more. KU stinks away from home. And Texas Tech, granted there were some injuries involved, just thumped them by 27. So I just, they're not passing the eye test. Let's set aside all the metrics. Let's set aside, you know, what we think the records are. Does this look like an NCAA tournament team to you, Ryan Gilbert? At times, yeah. When they're playing at their best, yeah. How much? How often for, is that? You can say that for 300 teams in the country, right? Yeah, I, so, but I think that's only about 10% of the time. Yeah, not getting it for a full 40 minutes. And that BYU game from Saturday was a perfect example of you start off with Data Ames scoring eight points right off the gate. You're thinking, okay, this team's going to get it rolling here, and then it just fizzles out. And then you mentioned it, making the score look not as worse. Uh, out in Provo. I mean, that's kind of a nice microcosm of, of the point you just brought up, Fitz. Like, I, and I, you know, if K-State's playing at its best and Tyler Perry is everything he's as advertised to be and, you know, Cam Carter continues to be that score. I mean, Arthur Kluma, if those three guys, if they just get scoring on any given night, they're an NCAA tournament team. No questions asked, but that only has happened on a handful of nights in conference play. Um, and that happened against KU, right? And that seemed like a nice winning formula to get those three scores going, you know, K-State can win some games, but until they find that consistency, I mean, they're, again, they're, they're good enough at times, but you can say that I'm sure for 300 teams out of the, what is it? 360 in college basketball that, that look good enough at times, but K-State's not finding it for, uh, for a full consistent 40 minutes. The, the two guards, Cam Carter and Tyler Perry were one of 14 from three at BYU. That's disgusting. So I, I come back to this. I'm, I'm all in on the Tyler Perry heroics. I think they're amazing. What he does in those late situations, particularly overtime, or it's incredible. A couple fewer turnovers and maybe a couple more hit shots. You don't need late game heroics. Um, they just, they're not attentive enough. They just don't value possessions enough. And it's maddening to watch. I mean, I think when you look at the bubble and you look at K-State's record, and the teams that K-State's around in the Big 12 standings and where they're at in the tournament. Take Oklahoma, for example. Currently a six seed projected. K-State wins that game like they were supposed to, like everybody thought going in. They get that. If they don't blow it at Texas Tech, K-State's you know, not that far off from being a tournament team. So it does feel like K-State should be on the bubble or at least in the tournament, you know, but K-State did not do anything to help themselves early on a lot of this bracketology is what are you at in early january did you go on a stretch that's a lot of why k-state was probably a three seed last year they earned a lot of their worth in early january and yeah you can lose some games here and there but if you prove yourself early on as a force to be reckoned with i think that the committee and especially people like joe lenardi who put together brackets like this they take that Maybe a little bit too much into account, but they didn't do themselves any favors in January with this right. this slide and not, you know, being undefeated. You know, losing that game at Texas Tech, I think, was probably the biggest thing. And then losing to Oklahoma, it, it started the slide. Back to Kane's point, I would like to see. Uh, I don't think there's been any brackets bracketology done since the game midweek games. I think they typically do those over the weekend. Cincinnati, I believe, is now four and seven in the conference. Yep. Um, I wonder if they're still in the brackets. 
Uh, Lenardi did update after okay. last night. Cincinnati is first four out. So they're four and seven and first four out. K-State's five and six and nowhere to be seen. I, it doesn't always add up to me. Yeah. Uh, granted, I don't know Cincinnati's non-con schedule. I don't quite get that. But there, there just seems to be something off there. And I'm, I'm, again, this that would be a great opportunity to go to Cincinnati and get that win and maybe steal that spot from the Bearcats. I mean, this is just taking a step back from the committee and you know their criteria and stuff. But like in my mind, and I'm sure you guys can agree, Fitz, Fitz, you mentioned it. They're not passing the eye test. They don't look like an NCAA tournament team. Last year, they had dudes, Marquise Noel and Keontae Johnson, like. I think K-State lost four out of five in Big 12 players somewhere where they had that rough stretch, right? You kind of knew they were going to get it together. You know, they weren't going to continue to keep sliding and falling. But with this team, I mean, with all the turnovers and I think some stuff got exposed against BYU down low in the paint, K-State kind of got bullied uh, near the basket. Like, it just doesn't seem like a Band-Aid is going to fix everything. This team does have some issues. And that's where I think last year's team is different from this year's team. And I know that the committee doesn't look at, you know, stuff like this, like, you know, they just want to see you win games and what's your net ranking, strength to schedule, stuff like that. You know, who'd you beat that's on the bubble? Like, you know, that's what they're focused on. But just in my eyes, and maybe it's true in the committee's eyes as well, that they're just not passing the eye test. They're they're not selling it that they're an NCAA tournament team, if, if that makes sense, guys. Well, I agree with you. I have Cincinnati's uh, net pulled up here. So K-State has two quadrant one victories right now and they're at 77 right cincinnati is all the way up to 36 okay so they are head and shoulders they're you know half of what k-state's net is and then in terms of quadrant one victories they have three they're three and four in said games and so that's that's where they're getting the edge now should they be that far ahead of k-state sure we can have that debate but that that's your answer in in layman's terms is 36 half or is it twice as high it. <laughs> you got me. Mm, mm, I don't know. Let me hold on. Some brain juice there. Yeah, it still didn't help. Five hour energy doesn't help my math. <laughs> nope. I and think that, it's move. it's twice as. Oh, high. guys, I think I lied. Hang on. Oh no. Oh, he always lies. Hold up their road. I think they had three road wins. I'm using my phone right now, so just I don't know. <laughs> Cincinnati's got I don't know two or three. I don't know how many quad ones they win. Ignore me. Okay, that's great. Our great drop there, podcast. buddy. I, we got to get you a new phone. Um, we, your phone is closer to papyrus than a current phone. My it's phone just... knows what a blockbuster is. Okay, your phone. Your phones don't. Cincinnati has two quad one wins, two quad two, three okay. quad three. They're eight and zero in quad four. So okay, well then. The net loves them, but the quad one, you know, those aren't, that's not too much different. And I did point out, I forgot to mention this, uh, Rutgers in 2022 had six quadrant one victories, and that's kind of what got them over the hump. So if there is something for K-State to hold its hat on, even with a poor net ranking and a poor overall resume, to get those quadrant one victories can be what gets you in. But you got to pick you them up. are 77 in the net ratings, and you've got six quad one wins, how bad were those losses? <laughs> right. <laughs> Sheesh. Oh, well. At least case they didn't have a bunch of those. They came close. They almost got an L for Chicago State, someone else. I mean, they came close to stuff having those. Next question is from Gillum Fan 67663. 
It's a basketball question. Interesting. Kind of. Is home court advantage more of a factor than home field advantage in football? Typically, no. This year, yes. Yeah. Here's my theory. This is just a theory. So there's been some attrition in the upper ranks of officiating. Most notably lately, John Higgins retiring. Um, and I, I truly believe he retired because of the fans. Not the fans at the games, how the fans track you down. What her, that Kentucky did to him, Kentucky fans were disgusting. And what they pulled was awful. There's been attrition in the officiating. And I would suspect that young officials are more prone to being intimidated by crowds. And that might explain why you're seeing more home wins. And it might also explain why a Kansas now is losing at home. They're more scared of the fans than Bill Self. That's just a theory. Um, but also officiating sucks. And if you get enough bad breaks on the road, I don't care who you are, that you're probably going to be out. You're probably going to lose that game. Hmm. I, think I just, with Houston, I mean, like, Zach, you were in Houston, like, it's not the environment. Like you can make that argument for Ames or Lawrence right here in Manhattan. You know, those sorts of environments make a difference. But, like, Houston's not anything to – like, K-State, there's no way that that team was intimidated, right? So to, yeah, Well, I, I, I don't, I don't think that was – I don't think what Houston does is crowd-related. I just think they're so comfortable at home. Yeah. They just play at a, an incredibly elite level. And same with Kansas. The, the Yeah, there's a crowd factor there, but – KU is incredibly efficient at home, and they don't do the same things on the road. I see them hit more shots. I see them rebound. They act like on the road they don't even care to rebound. So there's more to it than that. But yeah, I agree. I think it. I think it definitely is a factor in basketball. Just it's a shorter game. It takes place in a shorter amount of time. Mm -hmm. You know, there's more possessions for things to go wrong if you're the away team, so to speak versus football very scripted your most games you know you should expect to have the same amount of possessions same amount of you know similar amount of time of possession you know you know you have to score in 12 drives over a 60 minute period versus basketball you can miss a lot of shots in a short amount of time and that can get you down 20 points like that mm -hmm. like it's it's so quick um and it comes in such short bursts that i think that mm -hmm. yes if you have a crowd such as a K-State or a KU or an Iowa State, you know, those are the main ones. I'll put BYU up there. They have a good crowd. Um, you know, a lot of them. That is a factor for, you know, a few teams in the conference and in the country. You can throw Duke and North Carolina, those types of places, Kentucky. But for a lot of places, I think, like you said, it is comfortability of the court, the dimensions, the rims, you know, you understand what, what your court is and, mm -hmm. and what's going to, you know, I'm trying to come up with the words, but, um, you know, in the past when they would have these, you know, final fours and sweet 16s and giant arenas, the shooting's bad. They're low scoring games mm -hmm. because the sight lines are just so different. different. You're playing, you're hitting a goal, you know, that's in the middle of air, basically. There's no, depth back to the perceptions right. you know right. so 
you know, I think that changing up that image for a lot of teams, yeah, that that's an issue. Um, going on the road, just being uncomfortable, and and home teams, like you said, Houston being comfortable. So with mm-hmm. football, like the biggest thing is if it's so loud and you can't hear the huddle and you got to start using hand signals and stuff like that. That's where it's like basketball fits. I think what you mentioned, you know, you guys both mentioned good points with the officiating and also just the comfortableness of playing at home. I mean, it's not apples to oranges per se, but I mean, it's different. Like football is literally like you can't communicate and that is a tangible, that makes a difference. Obviously the momentum of a home, you know, environment in football makes a difference too, but um, it's two different things. Why that, why teams are better at home in basketball and football. Last question of the first half from Kevin316. We talk about officiating. Have you seen this many coaches getting teed up or ejected in Big 12 no. play before? What the heck is going on with the Big 12 officiating? Well, first, let's get this out of the way. There are officials contracted to do Big 12 games. I, You know what? We've seen Doug Sermons doing a lot less games. And as much as Doug Sermons drives me nuts... He would at least take control of some of these games. Um, In a good way, you mean? Yeah. Well, maybe not. But (laughs) um, honestly, I I think some of these coaches aren't getting their way, and they're used to it. they got to build all new relationships. They've had them with Sermons, and they had them with Higgins, and they've had them with Jerry Pollard. But now there's some changes. There's some new lead officials and some bad ones. Some guys that just don't belong in those roles, but they got there because of seniority because there's such a shortage of young, really good officials. That just takes time to get good at anything. I think uh, that officiating is awful. I think it's the doing of the parents at low levels. Um, I feel like having KNET in as as an official of high school sports, he understands they can't keep and retain young officials because the parents are so awful. So as much as I want to blame officials for being bad, it's really all of our fault because we've made it so unrewarding. It's not worth the grief that you got to go through to get to the pay of a Big 12 game. But I also think, and I truly believe this, that we need a guy like KNED, an experienced official, to rate these officials that are coming up because right now, you know, who's doing the choosing the advising for the most part, the officials that are working these games. It's a damn club. You got to go to Doug sermons camp. If you want Doug sermons to validate you and say, you need to be in this conference, you got to do all the right camps. You got to kiss the right asses. It's, it's a good old boys club and it's got to stop. They got to restructure how they're doing officiating. It's a mess, and I don't see anyone really in power talking about it being a mess. Why? Because they never want to say officiating's a problem. They never want to go there. They don't want to say, yeah, our officials suck. The Big 12 holds these guys to zero public accountability. Maybe that's by design because if you hold an official to that kind of accountability, they just won't work your conference anymore. Okay, okay. The Big 12 has got to take the lead. If you want to be serious about the being the best basketball conference in the country, take the lead on fixing officiating. Find a way to do it. 
I've given out recommendations. Nobody cares. It's fine. Come up with your own damn ideas. Can we just have some ideas? And can we have the people in power recognize that this is a problem? It's ruining a product. It's a great product. And if you really want to be the top conference in basketball officiating, you can't have crappy officials threatening that because those guys are going to work the NCAA tournament games too. Enough. That was a good rant. I got that out of my system. I think another part of it is you have a bunch of officials that don't want to be officials, but on the other hand, you have a bunch of officials who work every single night because they want to. Right. Because the pay's too good. Right. Maybe you should double the officials' pay and tell them you have to work half of the amount of games that you're working. I agree. Because I think that the quality would go up if these guys, if Kip Kissinger, and and I think that he has replaced John Higgins as the, if you see him on the floor, that's the one you feel most comfortable with right I now, I think. I, I think he's I the, and he used to be a young guy, the, mm-hmm. you know, novice, inexperienced, but he ref some good games. He's ref Final Fours now. I think he's the one that, at least in the Big 12, if you see him on the court, you know it's a big game, and you know that at least the conference is caring at least a little bit more than some of these other crews that they put out there on your games. But, you know, you don't need to see Kip Kissinger on the TV every night. You just don't. No. And respect to him for grinding and, you know, doing all these games night after night. John Higgins did it. Doug Sermon's, I don't know if he if he's in a different conference now or does less games overall. You don't see him as much, like you said. But these guys cannot be taking flights night after night after night at, for multiple nights in a row, being expected to perform at a high level and make very few mistakes. It's just, you know, you can say there's a shortage all you want, but double the pay, make them work half the make them work half the games, and you'll see a better result. I'm with you. And I, I think if the Big 12 really wants to be the best basketball conference, you should be paying the best of anyone by far. So yeah. every top official says, yeah, I'm going to go work Big 12 games. I can work less and make more. I'm in. I, I think that's you know a solution that the Big 12 needs to talk about. And um, you know now that Bill Self's unhappy, maybe they'll do something. I mean that sincerely. If Bill Self likes an official, he's always been accepted as a good official. And now it's not working, so maybe they'll actually address the problem. I just remember, guys, real quick before we go to break, um, for the Elite Eight game against Michigan State, or excuse me, against FAU, I was sitting next to, like right next to me on the media area was, he was like, he was the guy that was evaluating the officials. And I was like, is this like, is this theater? Like, is this real? Like, (laughs) how... You know, and the officiating so much worse this year, but we remember how bad it was last year. Like, how is it so bad when you have somebody that's either they're not doing their job or it's a, you know, if it's, it's a good old, you know, good old boys club, like you mentioned, that's probably the answer to this. But um, I just, I was like, there's no way this is real. Like, how is the officiating this bad when you have somebody that's here to evaluate the three officials on the court? But I mean, you look at Scott Drew from a few weeks ago, like he's the nicest dude in the world getting ejected and the one with Jerome Tang, uh, he didn't get ejected, but that flagrant or technical, whatever he got when he said that the official was telling Cam Carter that he was gonna, you know, he would get him out of the game if he didn't shut up. And obviously Jerome Tang, I, you know, got some fines and had to, to walk back that and apologize and stuff. But God, did he ever like, get fined? We don't know if he got fined. I don't know if he did. Because 
the Big 12 is very public when they reprimand and find somebody for comments about officials. The Big 12 never came out and said, Jerome Tang, what you said at Houston was bad. We are fining you and we are reprimanding you. That- the Big 12 never did that, which makes me think that the Big 12 agrees with what Jerome Tang said. Right. You just can't say it publicly. Say it to us privately. Yeah. I think the official, I haven't seen that official. Like, I'm totally special. Gary Maxwell. Gary Maxwell. I've not seen him lately. Uh, that is something so awful to say as an official. Uh, you know, that's like a police officer walking up on some kids in the street saying, hey, if you don't break it up, I'm going to arrest you and ruin your entire life. I mean, what what are you doing? It, you're going to intentionally foul someone out of the game because you don't like them? You should never officiate again. You really shouldn't. Um, and there, there are severe issues there. There's just there's no doubt about it. Um, but I don't know. I just, I don't see a stomach to do anything. I just don't. Uh, let me point out though, you mentioned the evaluator, the big 12 used to pay someone at every big 12 game to do exactly that. I knew the guy from Topeka that would come over and, and rate the officials and he would go in at halftime and talk to him. He would go in post game and talk to him and that's gone probably because the officials didn't like being judged. They didn't like being officiated. Officials need press conferences to be, after games. They, I don't agree with that. You don't? I, I don't. I I have no problem with officials not being open to public acknowledgement. You know, like, why'd you make this call? I do like the pool reporting aspect of, okay, explain this rule, how it was interpreted. That You know, I get yeah, that. That's fair. I get that, but also that is quite often not a pool reporter. That's usually an SID going in and getting the answer and sharing it. I I, I would nominate Kellis Robinette to be the pool reporter at Kansas State to go in and ask rules because I still don't understand that we can't check the clock in the first half nonsense he was told at one point. Because they do it all the time. I, just, I, I still don't get it. I, they're just bad at their job. You know what? who's not bad at their job? The Fridge Wholesale Liquor. Fridge Wholesale Liquor is our sponsor, and this is a break. We're going to go to break. On the other side, we've got more of your questions from All Bastards. We'll be right back after these messages from our sponsors. Please visit the Fridge Wholesale Liquor, located at the corner of Claflin and Westport Road in Manhattan, Kansas. Introducing the Two-Way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the Two-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the Two-Way for yourself at NewBalance.com. Welcome back to the show. Let's return to the Cats and Dogs studio. Welcome back to the PowerCat podcast. Tim Fitzgerald, Zach Carlson, Ryan Gills Gilbert from his, his suite. His, Aggieville it's suite. Like a, it's Get like it right. a townhome. Some people might call it an apartment, but he calls it a luxury townhome because it has a door. 
Um, and he's I got Wi-Fi. It's <laughs> Wi-Fi is a stretch, isn't it? Mm. But yeah. I think it's technically like a triplex is what this is. Mm. Fun. Do we want to? I, no, I don't get. I'll skip that. On with the questions <laughs> from Wabash Station. Reminder: We're sponsored by the Fridge. You saw their logo go into the break. They're wonderful. Go in there and hug a Fridge employee. Just go in there and say, Fitz told me to do this and hug it. Now, and it, it, there's a 50% chance their name will be Mike because they've got a lot of Mikes. Last I checked, there was 17 Mikes. Before I ask this question, Uh-oh. back to the last question about the refs. I did the math. Okay. I was trying to figure it out. The NBA has 74 staff officials, eight non-staff officials. I don't know what that means. I just assume that those are probably subs. subs. So 74 officials for 30 teams, 15 games on any given night. There's, you know, half the officiating, the ha- almost half of the officials are on an off night. If there's 16 teams in the Big 12 next year and every team plays two games a week, you could have crews, eight crews, do two games a week for 24 total officials. You just need 24 total officials to do two games a week. I think the Big 12 could pull that off. How do you feel about Major League Baseball has, when you get umpires? Yeah, you, you have crew. a crew. I I think it would be good for basketball to do that. I don't think the NBA does that. I think they rotate. And maybe you should rotate a little bit, I, but I, at least for a week, I think that, you know, you should, if you look at any official, there should certainly be a defined you reft with these two other officials the most. Right. I, I'll bet the NBA sends four officials to every game. Maybe have that, yeah, have that alternate. Maybe so. You, you know, when they pull that groin on that fast break, they're groin. Not someone else. Okay. That's weird. Um, they, they probably need a sub to come in. But yeah, I'm with you. And I've even fielded the notion of hire a bunch of younger officials and go to four, go to four on the court at once. Um, and they just kind of rotate around the court. So you, I'm, I'm not bad. Look, let's be honest here. If we're talking about bad officiating, K-State was the beneficiary of an awful call on a what should have been a turnover because the officials couldn't keep up with the game. And David Gasson had the ball knocked out of his hands by a ghost. <laughs> which is a whole other problem they need to address at Bramlage. Apparently there's ghosts um, because the KU player was about a foot away and, and no official was in position to see it. Okay, moving on to football, though. For my like Pickles Cat, after the Matt Wells and Connor Riley press conferences last week, what were your thoughts? After the Matt Wells and Connor Riley, you know what? I really like Connor Riley. I think people see him yelling and, you know, the, his reputation as, you know, the tough guy that coaches offensive line. And then, you know, I think as they see him in, in more press conferences, they're going to go, this guy's a kind of a teddy bear with a potty mouth. He's kind of like yeah. living embodiment of Ted, the, the teddy bear that curses a lot. Um, I got to watch that. It's on Peacock now. They got like a prequel. It's like a show, right? Yeah, yeah, like because in the movie, this was the teddy bear he grew up with. Well, this is him growing up with the teddy bear. That's foul Ooh. mouth. Uh, it's kind of like having Ryan Gilbert around all the time. Uh, I don't even know what I was talking about. And I'm getting pawed at by Daphne nonstop. I see her. You see her on the... the yep. let's, let's bring this up. Uh, at the stage right there. There she is, right there. That's what's going on. She's just here. I don't know what's going on with dude. Dude, are you alive? No, he's asleep. He's he's asleep. It's just uh poor dude. Life's so rough. Okay, remove back to that. On with the podcast. Yeah, I thought 
Matt Wells was really nice to hear from. You know, he the just, best stuff was after the yeah. cameras were off. Man, a, he went way, way <laughs> off the record. He's like, he literally told us, like, this is off the record multiple times. Uh, yeah, it was. Even so if was, he hadn't told me that was going to be off the record. Right. And the best part, Zach, were you the one that mentioned that he reminds people of Marcus Watts? Yeah, he looks like Marcus Watts. He kinda. looks and kind of his mannerisms were like yeah. Marcus Watts. Um, so remind and, me and if, you know, you're a long time listener to this podcast, you understand. But uh, I like them both. I think Matt Wells will be really good. Figure. I just think that'll be a, a good. Uh, did you hear that? I heard that. What was that? Is that Gills? I don't know. Um, it sounded like it sounded like it was something opening. It sounded like uh, Daphne got hold of a microphone. But yeah, I think he'll be a good addition. I, I and he's out there recruiting like crazy. Yeah, the other thing I like about it is he's able to come in as more of a, uh, you know, colleague of Chris Kleiman. Uh, you know, as a former head coach, and say have you thought about trying this doing this maybe some things behind the scenes will get some freshening up that honestly we think need to happen next question is from fron willie can you give your honest opinion about the quarterback room after avery johnson barnett is injured and there are no d1 snaps for any of the backups this can't be good no it's not ideal it really isn't um and knuth is your backup he was recruited. I mean, he was a legitimate high school recruit who just left a scholarship at Minnesota to walk on at K-State because he realized he made the wrong choice. And now he's on scholarship. So uh, he'll be prepped as the number two guy. You've got, um, I apologize to him, the Washburn transfer coming in. That at least is an experienced person in, you know, in the room who's played a lot of football, even if it's Division two. But, yeah, you you went from some really talented dudes backing up and not seeing the field to some great unknowns. And it does make you worry that maybe they'll be a little cautious like they were in the Pop-Tarts Bowl with how much they run Avery. Uh, and I, I don't know that that's ideal, but probably recommended uh, to be real careful with that and not just start, you know, running the ball left and right with your quarterback, but to be a little more selective. Well, Anything uh, else? I just said it all. Nothing. Uh, Nothing from Gills. This is the dilemma, right? Especially with the transfer portal when you've got a guy like Avery Johnson, you know, the, the low-hanging fruit, you know, the grass is going to be greener to go and transfer somewhere else. And, you know, I don't, I'm don't. i not saying I blame them. I wouldn't want to play behind Avery Johnson. But at the same time, you are just a snap away from Avery Johnson getting hurt and needing another quarterback. And not that Knuth isn't going to be good enough or anything like that. But, yeah, I mean, the question brings up a valid point. The quarterback room isn't probably where you want it to be from top to bottom, obviously Avery Johnson is great, but I would be very surprised if he plays every single snap for Kansas State this upcoming season, especially with you know his potential to run the football. So that's just kind of how it is, and I'm not saying that's good or bad or that's K-State's fault or these players' fault. It's just K-State's room is rather weak when you look at it globally, um, and there's no real easy way to get it to be better when it's so easy to get up and leave now and go somewhere else. Um, if you're not happy, but you know, I mean, I know the develop the term developmental program is always thrown out there and you know, I don't want to get into that, but you know, when you, when you're trying to work guys in and get them experienced and have their time come, I mean, that quarterback, that's just going to be hard to get nowadays. Right. Yeah. I agree. I'll pose this question. If Will Howard transferred or graduated, you know, we weren't expecting him to be back this year. But let's say Jake Rubley did not enter the transfer portal and Jake Rubley was here. Would you feel any more or less comfortable 
than what the situation is right now because Jake Rubley did not take any meaningful snaps for K-State in his career here. Correct. So he you look at you on the road. Meaningful interception across the field. Well, yeah. Yeah. His interception was pretty meaningful. <laughs> but yeah, I know in what you're saying. Opposite direction. <laughs> but you look at that, you know, versus Blake Barnett, who is a quarterback prodigy. I mean, if, if every Johnson was not here, he would be clamoring all over Blake Barnett, kind of like they clamored for Jake Rubley, to be completely honest. I do not see largely any difference between Blake Barnett. Granted, yes, he's coming off an injury, and but he did play on that injury. He is a warrior. He is going to fight, you know, to be on that field if he needs to be on that field. But you compare him to Jake Rubley, I just... It feels the same. Very highly rated high school quarterback. Not a lot of experience. You know, you look at Will Howard, him coming in with absolutely zero experience and goes, starts a game on the road at TCU and wins it. You know, I just, it's it's hard to, um, you know, doubt freshman quarterbacks, at least for me right now. K-State's been extremely fortunate with the guys they have played. And Jake Rubley was probably the the hottest guy over the last, you know, five years as a recruit. You know, when's Jake going to play? It'd be terrible if he transferred. It's like, well, he didn't play much. Other guys were better than him. It is what it is. And he ended up at a Mac school. And he ended up at a Mac school. Granted, I think he got absolutely hosed with COVID and transferring to a school in Iowa and just not playing any football for a year. But you look at Blake Barnett, who's coming off an injury, he probably isn't going to play this fall. You'd hope not, at least from just a recovery standpoint, and you would rather have Avery Johnson on the field for you. But if you look at the situation and the comparisons, I just I don't see a large difference between Blake Barnett coming in and Jake Rubley and what he left with. I, I wonder. First, I don't know what the circumstances around his departure, hitting the transfer portal was. Maybe he was asked to leave. That's entirely possible. But Adrian Lara remains without a home. Now, again, he never played. He never showed signs of really being able to play, but he does know the playbook. He, he, he is, you know, a year further down the road than anyone else behind Avery Johnson for two years. Would you take him back if you had a scholarship and, you know, after spring ball, would you, would you bring him back and say, yeah, you want to join us again? I'm, I'm just curious again. I don't know in the inner workings of how it was behind the scenes, if they just never saw an upside for him, but I'm concerned about the lack of playbook knowledge within that room more than anything. I mean, Fitz, you're a little more connected than me and Zach probably with football, but Mm -hmm. like I never heard a single bad thing about, Adrian Lara. No, right? I didn't either. Uh, yeah. Sorry? I, I didn't either. No, okay, I agree. Okay. Wi-Fi cut out for a second, my end. But, yeah. I, Zach, if you're <laughs> with Jake Rubley, like, like, he didn't show a single thing at Kansas State in Manhattan on campus to make us believe that he could really be anything, right? But I think you would at least be holding on to that hope of, you know, he was a four-star quarterback. And before, you know, he was – before things went south for his senior year, we never got to play and stuff. Like, there was promise. So I think it looks a little bit better if you have Jake Rubley, but by all means, it doesn't look 
you know, astronomically better or anything like that, you know, maybe slightly better, but nothing crazy. But I mean, you never know, like, you know, teams, you know, players can be dormant for so long and, and come out of nowhere. My Steelers were, you know, Mason Rudolph, an old big 12 friend, you know, he was on the roster for like four or five years and led the team to the playoffs as a third string, like, you know, things, crazy things can happen. So who knows what Jake Lubley's you know, future looks like, but you know, he was a four star at one point in time. You have to remember that. Hey, speaking of the Steelers, I saw Justin Fields is the favorite. favorite. Yeah, to take it's not going to happen. His next no. snap with the Steelers. No, are you Mike on Tomlin that? Is huge on valuing the football, and Justin Fields averages like two turnovers a game in the NFL. Not happening. So you're going with Kenny Pickett or Mason? Or if Ma- they resign him? Or Mason Rudolph? Mm. Oh my! Mm. He got Boy, the Steelers that- to the playoffs, and that if you know. If you bet on them to make the playoffs or something, I'm sure you did well. Hey, here's my thing. I, I I appreciate everything that Zach said about Jake Rubley. He got screwed over during the pandemic, losing your senior year, transferring to a state that would, would allow him to play, and then they said, no, you can't play. Total crap. Total crap. But anyhow, um, that wasn't really the problem, though. I don't think anyone in the football building will tell you in the complex that he worked his ass off to make up ground that he re- he was really diligent and got after it. That just wasn't what he did. He he kind of cruised on his four stars. And I don't think the quarterback that took the field last year was any better than the quarterback that threw that interception at TCU. And he should have been better. So I you know I I don't know. Maybe the the perception of having a better quarterback room was simply Avery Johnson being there to back up Will Howard, which apparently was wholly unfair to Will Howard according to his high school coach, but that's a different topic. Yeah, another story. <laughs> another day. Next question is from Adam K63. What will it take for the Big 12 not to schedule K-State in Arizona on a Friday night? Uh, something better is available. I mean, there's going to be a game on that Friday night, I would guess. Uh, I, I don't. I don't see why they did what they did. It's going to be on a Friday night. I don't see any way it won't be. Well, why would you say, hey, we might play this on a Friday, but we might not? I mean, is there another game out there that is an or Friday or Saturday? I haven't, I haven't looked to, to see what the possible time slot could be for that Friday night. I mean, maybe the or is when they come to, you know, drafting the games, whatever the pecking order is between Fox and ESPN. Maybe ESPN wants a Friday night game and Fox says, uh, we don't play that game. You know, we're taking this game. And it's going to be on Saturday. Um, so maybe that's what it is. I'm not sure, but I think it'll be on Friday. And I think that's why, even though they haven't announced this, they sent this to recruits. There's going to be a spring game on April 13th. I think they needed the recruiting weekend of a spring game because you're losing, you'd lose that. And then you've got two home games in the middle eight weeks of your season. Literally. You got two home games, two buys, and four road games. So you just don't have nice weather recruiting weekends. There, there's you got very few of them. Daphne wants you fits. I can see her. Oh, she's driving me crazy. She's looking though. at me. She's just she's oh. she's so needy. She's staring. Daphne Good. gets around. Oh, she well, <laughs> she's just trying to evaluate uh, if Zach's a murderer uh, oh, because it's she been feels years. like uh, all men. Or murders, particularly ones in ball caps. Yeah. Hiding from security cams. Mm-hmm. Is that, yeah, this is that what it is. you always look like you're hiding from the security camera. 
Part of me thinks it won't be on Friday just because K-State has those five. K-State won't want it there. K-State absolutely doesn't want it. Granted, I remember the only time I can remember a Big 12 school having six home games and five of them were on Saturdays and one was on a midweek. Ironically, it was my freshman year at Oklahoma State and the Thursday night game was against Arizona. <laughs> so I don't know. Maybe maybe they'll get away with having five games. Um, you, you don't like having that, but very well could happen. I don't see why you announce it and not. The other thing is, I'm pretty sure that's the same day as the Eagles, the Philadelphia Eagles playing in Rio de Janeiro on a Friday night for whatever reason. I don't know who's broadcasting that, but that also may be the the Friday or Saturday thing. Maybe the network that K-State would be playing on is a network that may coincide with that game. But also, if you're K-State and Rio is a couple hours ahead of Central Time, I don't know what exact what the exact time is, but if they started that game at a you know, seven or eight local there, that's five or six o'clock here, you know, it wouldn't be the worst thing for TV if you went from that game straight into the K-State Arizona game. So another thing to look at, I don't know what the network is, and I, I may be completely wrong on that, that it's a possibility, but not horrible, in my opinion. I agree. Last I like question. Oh, sorry. Three-fourths of your answer, Zach, was like, I couldn't hear a thing. So okay. my, my Wi-Fi here is basically like Kansas State basketball. You know, it's when it's at its best, it can compete with the best. But, boy, it's not consistent mm. for the full show. And so, you know, if, if this Wi-Fi wants to get into the big tournament of Wi-Fi, it's got to step up and be good for a full show. Unfortunately like for us, good. we can hear you. Yeah, you're like it's not breaking up your voice. Once in a while, your, your picture goes a little blurry, low def, but that's good for everyone. So yeah. let's let's move on. I, you know your Wi-Fi sucks. I know. Upgrade. Up, upgrade your entire life except for your job. Last question of the second half is from Ohio Powercat. FanDuel has K State over under at nine and a half wins for the 2024 season. Are you betting the over? Is his question. No, no, I wouldn't. No. I, I wouldn't touch this. Congratulations, Kansas State. The books have finally figured you out because it's been easy to bet the over even what last season, but this year, uh, nine and a half, that's pretty steep. I, I think the books are completely overvaluing the movement of Oklahoma and Texas off the schedules because, you know, most years, if Oklahoma was on the schedule, it was a good game. And, you know, until recently they'd beat Texas, but oh, I mean, look, I nine and a half a lot of respect. And I think that and Utah are the highest two in the new Big 12. And I, I think that will be the championship game. I really do. I think those are the 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 two most proven programs uh, right now that have been the most consistent. I saw a Utah fan ask, what has K-State ever done? I'm like, what are you talking about? They won the Big 12 <laughs> last year, and they were in contention this year. What do you mean? What are they, they beat Oklahoma every time they went to Norman. What have they done? I, I'm just so fascinated by Utah fans not having any knowledge of college football outside of their little aquarium. Uh, you know, they just, they think they're a big fish because they were a big fish in their aquarium. Um, no, 
no, welcome to this aquarium. The fish are all more uh, combative here. I guess you just ask them the same question right back at them. Like, oh, well, we won the, the Big 12 championship. Well, we won the Big 12 championship. Yeah, weird. Like, oh. <laughs> yeah. It's the same same game, just in a different place. They, that's the one you're going to play in now. Yep. <laughs> uh, there is a little bit of juice on the under. Minus 134 for the under, plus 110 for the over. So not a complete even split there on the on the nine. So. But the under, I, correct me if I'm wrong, Kansas State, I believe, was like, I think it was them in Utah that were the number, was yes, it that, they have it the highest totals. They're both at nine and a half, I believe. Yeah. I mean, nine and, and a half doesn't guys, seem like a crazy number, but for K State to be tied for the highest win total, I've got to go under. Well, I, I don't blame them. I think they would be, but you're saying odds are K State wins between nine and 10 games. And look, I I look at the schedule and I might bet that, but I also know that the Big Twelve offers you some surprises. I mean, you just there's no now that Kansas decided football is important. About time, they this league's so competitive. You got Arizona State, maybe, maybe but I like Dillingham, the coach. I think I think they're going to get there. I think joining the Big Twelve is going to help those Arizona schools because they can still access California recruiting, and now they have a good reason to get into Texas. So I think that this will be a benefit to them. But it's going. To, I I, th- I think Big Twelve football might start to look a lot like Big Twelve basketball, and the fact that home field advantage will be huge, and everyone's going to beat the snot out of everyone, and the effect of that will be just the opposite of what happened happens with uh, basketball when we all say, "Hey, it's just great competition." Everyone will say, hey, it's lousy competition. Nobody's good. K-State is tied for 17th most, 17th shortest odds to win the national championship next okay. year. Plus 6,000 for anybody who is curious. That's it, isn't it? Mm-hmm. That is I it. don't I wouldn't. I wouldn't know. You wouldn't bet on teams to make the playoffs? Nah. Would not no, do no. that. No. K-State might be a good one to bet on. Okay. No, no. Don't bet. You've earned that money. It's hard-earned. Don't bet it on stuff, Ryan Gilbert. That's it for the PowerCat Podcast. Thank you, Fridge. This has been a GoPowerCat.com and Spirit Street production. Please support this show by subscribing to this YouTube channel or follow us on your favorite podcast platform. When you have sports mixed with your pop culture, along with humor and celebrity interviews, your earbuds are enjoying the Rich Eisen Show. Dan Orlovsky, are you still a Jaden Daniels is the best quarterback available in the draft guy? I think the three things that make it stand out for me are number one, I think his ball placement versus man coverage is the best in the draft. Every quarterback in the NFL is accurate. He's got the best on tape. Number two, most transferable stuff to the NFL. And then I think the third thing is pocket peace. Search for the Rich Eisen Show on YouTube or wherever you listen.